This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is uh, Brooke Spector with the Deep Dive. And we're going to talk about something today uh, which has captured the news, uh, probably should have captured the news a long time ago, but nevertheless is, is a crucially important topic for all of us whether we are young or old, have children, are in the sunset years, uh, this is uh, our this is our gerontology, our demography. Uh, we used to say um, geography was destiny. Uh, that was a sort of a code phrase for international strategists. But maybe the conversation should be demography is destiny. Um, if you've been following uh, the news, you'll you'll notice there has been great astonishment with the fact that the population of China is actually falling after uh, rising for years, and as a function of its one-child policy, the population is actually on the decline, and apparently is being overtaken by its neighbor India. Um, when I was in university, uh, one of the hot topics, uh, for, for people was zero population growth. Um, this was tied to the idea that, of course, the Earth's resources are finite, uh, and that the best thing for us to do as a human species was to limit our population or, in fact, somehow decrease it. Um, but now we're beginning to, to discuss this a little in a little more sophisticated kind of way, the dangers of population declines. And so the question then becomes, is the raw number of people the only thing, or are there other considerations? And in fact, are there positives that are coming from the rise in the age of mortality, people living longer, and a world, in fact, where there are longer-lived people? Uh, the historians tell us that uh, the age of mortality in ancient Rome was about 35 years. That was the average. Um, we now live at least twice that on average, and there are feelings that we will be able to do significantly more than that in the future, and there are places where it already is true. And so we've invited uh, a guest, Jaco, Jaco Hoffman, Ph.D. from Oxford and is professor of sociogerontology at Northwest University, uh, where he leads the Aging and Generational Dynamics in Africa programs. And he is a professorial fellow at the Institute of Population Aging, where he coordinates the UN-blessed, endorsed African Research Network on Aging. This network brings together African and international institutions and individuals from academia, policy uh, worlds, and uh, practice to develop and expand African research and training capacity on aging. He's got a very long CV. I don't propose to read it all, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, he is one of the country's experts on aging, and we are delighted to have him. I'm even delighted to call him a near neighbor. He lives down the street from us, and so it was just natural to reach out to him and say, would you join us on this program? And so welcome. 
Thank you, Brooks, for that very generous introduction. And um, yes, lovely to have you and Ruth as neighbours. So, uh, you know, in your, in your intro, intro, you mentioned so many of the fascinating concepts we are dealing with, you know, like fertility, like mortality, like longevity. Um, you mentioned um, individual aging and also societal aging. So many thanks. Well, take us through this a bit. Um, what is the contour of uh, demography and gerontology for us here in Africa? What what are the what are the benchmarks? What are the the detours and what are the high spots that we should be aware of, as well as the dangers? What 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 are we what are we confronting? Yeah, fascinating. Um, of course, you know, if we think Africa, Brooks. We should uh, think uh, Africa within a global um, context. You know, and that's what Oxford is so good with, you know, to look at aging in a global context. So, um, so where the 20th century was the last century of youth, the 21st century will be the century of centenarians. So, you know, centenarians, it's people who are over a hundred. Yes. So, of course, on average, huh? what is busy happening? So there are three drivers for population aging. If we think on a societal macro level, hopefully at the end, we'll get to individual aging, you and me as individuals. But on a societal level, there are three drivers. The first one is Lower um, mortality, you know, people die later in life. So people live longer, to put it more positively. That is hugely important. Um, lower mortality, people live longer. So in South Africa, our um, uh, life expectancy is... Not that high, because we, of course, Brooks, look at life expectancy at birth. Huh? So you have to take into account infant mortality and all this, uh, the um, the drama that happens, you know, with infants, young people, accidents, and so forth. So at birth, our life expectancy in South Africa is around 63 years um, on average, 60 mm. years for men and 65.6 years for females. And uh, interestingly, South Africa's life expectancy is lower than most African countries because we, we really have this scourge of HIV AIDS and AIDS. You know, we, we, um, currently have around seven uh, one million people living with HIV and and AIDS, and we we don't exactly know how that will impact on people when they get older, because you know the whole HIV AIDS thing is now aging. You know people are aging with HIV and um, AIDS. Mm-hmm. So, so the one driver, people live longer. But we have to make a huge note that there's a difference 
between healthy longevity and a longevity um, which is severely compromised with limited function, functionality. You know, some people um, will even term it as a disabled longevity because of all the losses. And sadly, you know, with all the inequalities in Africa and specifically also in South Africa, longevity will not be uh, a one-dimensional, simple um, issue for most South Africans and Africans. So we will deal with a lot of morbidities, you know, um, comorbidities, illnesses, losses, and so forth. So the first one, we, we're living longer, all through Africa, South Africa included. So the second one, driver, is lower fertility. You mentioned that. You know, less children are born. Actually, uh, Brooks, two-thirds of the world's countries are approaching or are below replacement level, two-thirds. So countries like Japan and Italy are trapped, you know, in a low fertility trap. They, mm. they can't escape it anymore. You know, and in South Africa, our fertility rate is now 2.35. Um, on, on average, you know, the replacement fertility rate is 2.1. South Africa is 2.35. So contrary to what people think, South Africa's fertility rate is in decline. Of course, there's a peak, you know, with teenage pregnancies, but on, in general, you know, it's on a decline. Just to give you perspective, um, the country with the lowest fertility rate in Africa is Tunisia with 2.1. Um, no, actually 2.2, just uh, above replacement level. And the country with the highest is Niger with um, 6.6. To just recap, what are the drivers of population aging? People live longer and less children are born. And that combination makes for a population to age. And then there's a third one, a very difficult one to predict. And that is migration. You know, uh, people are left behind. So you will get pockets where an aging po population, like, um, for example, rural urban migration. So you are, uh, will have rural areas where older people were left behind with grandchildren, obviously, uh, children that went to the cities. And of course, you know, also internationally, people are moving around and um, older people are left in the countries of origin and um, younger people move on. So migration, a very interesting aspect, but very unpredictable because of economic factors or political issues and so forth. Conflict and such. We're going to take a short break uh, with a, a message of importance to our listeners. We're speaking with Yako Hoffman, uh, gerontologist and expert on African population and demographic issues. And we'll be right back after this message. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector.
And this is The Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, and we're speaking with Yako Hoffman, gerontologist, uh, specialist on African demographics, and most especially on the suddenly very hot topic of aging and aging populations. And I thought we should have this conversation because of the news that pretty much has hit everywhere, that contrary to many people's expectations, China's population isn't ever increasing, it's declining, and India is about to overtake it, or already has, and one of the key implications of the Chinese population curve has been an effect that came from 30-some years of, of policy, the one-child one policy, which means that there are a lot more old people and a lot fewer workers to support them, which means there are pressures on the social security network uh, and social welfare networks dealing with older people that China is now about to, to uh, confront. But it's a challenge that many parts of the world already are beginning to discuss and appreciate. Yaka, welcome back again. And now, you were discussing the African uh, circumstances. Can we put what you've said about morbidity and fertility and migration dynamics, and can we put them in a larger global context for us, for our audience? Uh, what does what does this mean in terms of government policies or economic growth uh, or even social stability? Yeah, fascinating. So um, the global north, um, Brooks, and that, you know, in, in other words, the developed, the so-called developed world is already an aged population. It's fascinating, you know, the globe, um, on a global level, um, the older population trebled over the past 50 years. In 2020, and that's now past, three years, two years in the past, half of Europe's population um, is already over 50 years of age. And uh, UK life expectancy is increasing with five hours a day and two years a decade. And in 2050, there will be 8 million um, people 100 years and over. In the, only in the UK um, can you imagine that king, uh, that uh, future king, how many special cards he will have to sign. That's all he'll do so, all day. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, without going into detail, can you imagine a world with eight million hundred pluses in one country? You know, for example, in China in 250, 2050, there will be around 300 million 60 pluses. So, you know, you just can't, um, uh, not use uh, their productivity, their capacity, their capabilities. Um, we have to change, and policymakers have to change their mindsets um, with regard to so-called retirement age, 
and the contributions older people um, can make. Within South Africa and Africa, um, of course, it's a different story. And I, I just want to, to raise two caveats, to raise Please. two, two um, uh, kind of disclaimers in a certain sense. The first one is, and it, it's, it will now sound terribly contradictory to what we've um, spoken about. Africa is still a young continent. We have to state that very clearly. The defining feature of, you know, Africa's um, demography is its youthfulness. 60% of Africa's populace is presently aged below 25 years. And the continent is the youngest of all world regions and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Let me, let me just uh, give you some perspective. Within 20 years, that's now 2035, uh, around then, Africa's potential labor force will be larger than China's. You know, you mentioned China's dilemma. Um, in fewer than three generations from now, 41% of the world's youth will be African. And so, uh, in a certain sense, if, if, if we are sensible in Africa and we train our young people and we upskill them, um, it is correct that our large bulge of children and youth offers a major opportunity within the world um, economy, the world um, set up. So, but then, having said that, the question is then, um, where are older people in this equation? That I, I want to leave you with that cliffhanger, and we'll get to that later on. The second I, disclaimer, sorry. No, I was just going to interject that what you just said about the, the, the youth and youthfulness of, of Africa and the overwhelming youthful uh, young population, you, you just brought a huge smile to the face of anybody who trades in the material culture of youth culture, whether it's music or art or clothing or track shoes yes. or anything else like that. Yes, you know, and uh, also educational systems within the global north, so they all look at youthful Africa. So they also look at youthful Africa to pro provide them with care for their older populations. So, so point is, first point is, Africa is young. That, that's a disclaimer. So second disclaimer is Africa is huge. Africa is not a homogenous place. It's huge and diverse. And after Asia, Africa is the world's second largest and second most populous continent. So, so we have to be very careful to make sweeping statements about Africa, especially now uh, when you allow me, and if you allow me, to just mention, you know, four background trends that's typical um, in Africa and and that we should keep at the back of our minds um, in spite of the diversity. 
the first background brain we have to consider when we think about aging in Africa is, sadly said, poverty. Uh, you know, Brooks, that most countries in the lowest rankings of the development index are in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. And and uh, also in South Africa, we are dealing with huge poverty and inequalities. You know, and um, this is illustrated by the fact that we with Brazil have the most comprehensive social protection um, program in the in the developing world. So around 18 million people in South Africa um, get grants. Huh? We all know about the grants. So at the same time, We've got huge unemployment. It's all linked to this poverty thing. Stats SA estimated that um, around 46% of young people aged 15 to 34 years in Gauteng were unemployed um, in 2021. So let's make it concrete. So now you have um these multi-generational households or multi-locational families, households. And what's happening now? A 30-year-old man has to look his grandmother in the eyes. A 30-year unemployed man in South Africa has to look his grandmother receiving a grant, small, 1,900 rands a month, but he has to look her in the eyes to ask for money for deodorant or shaving cream or whatever. So uh, poverty and uh, is a huge issue, and we can't think about poverty and youth unemployment without also thinking about the intergenerational dynamics, you know, within that um, context. So, so poverty is a first trend all across Africa. So migration is a second trend. I mentioned it already. You know, this rural urban thing, older people left behind, international migration um, from the south to the north, but much bigger, you know, south-south migration. Um, people in Africa migrating to South Africa. And then the third trend all across Africa without um, uh, not acknowledging diversity is the quadruple burden of health. So we've got poverty, migration, and health. And this is fascinating, Brooks. Because that directly, of course, like all the others, impacts on how I will age in Africa. So what, what, what is this quadruple burden of health? So we have four trends at the same time. Conditions related to poverty, so malnutrition, waterborne diseases, and tuberculosis, a link to that. Then we have 
a high rate of injuries, you know, accidents in Africa. Then, as you know, we have infectious diseases. Um, of course, large, in large part, um, due to HIV and COVID-19. And then, and this is the big one, at the very same time, we also have this huge increase in non-communicable diseases. In other words, Brooks, lifestyle diseases. So heart conditions, cancers, dementia, and so forth. I, I'm busy mentioning, you know, these big uh, background trends, poverty, migration, health. And then the fourth one is the family. All across the continent, we now see that um, families uh, can't cope with all the care given to, you know, poverty, given um, a disabled longevity or a longevity um, where there's um, a, a lack of capacity and um, functionality and so forth. So families need support. Um, these are the big, big trends across Africa. We have to take another station break. It's the vicissitudes and the necessities of radio. We have to do that. Uh, but these are important messages to our audience. And we'll, and we'll come back to you uh, in just a minute when we project outward from your trends and your background demographics. We're speaking with Yako Hoffman gerontologist and specialist in aging based at the at Northwest University and we're delighted to have him here but first this word this is the deep dive with Brooke Spector this is Brooke Spector and the deep dive and we're speaking with Yako Hoffman from Northwest University, gerontologist, specialist in aging, not just on Africa, but looking at the globe, and not just looking at the globe generally, but looking at the specific challenges that face us here in South Africa. Yako, you were doing your four background trends that are operating sort of under the blanket uh, in Africa. Review for people for you. You, you discussed the various aspects of poverty, uh, migration, whether it's north, whether south to north or within the south, the various burdens of health, and then the demands on family relationships. Take us forward from this, given the fact that Africa will have, has now, and will for the foreseeable future, the world's youngest population, an opportunity of a lifetime for those who market and make the youth culture but also challenges. What should we worry about and what should we look for with a certain degree of enthusiasm? Yes, um, you know, I want to desperately come to that point, you know, around the opportunities. Where do older people fit into, you know, this young continent? Older people in Africa, where do they fit into this young continent? You're talking about me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, and me also. I'm 60 this year. And of course, you know, it's all relative. You know, it's all, uh, you know, it's all in the number. Huh? 
the definition of an older person is so complex. So it can be chronological, it can be, uh, you know, the role you play within society, sociologically. It can be your mindset. You, you know, you can be <laughs> a very old person at the age of 30. So, but anyhow, so where do we fit into all of this? Uh, because older people are currently only constituting a small share of the total population in Africa. But, you know, that small share masks huge absolute numbers of older people. So, Brooks, we approach policymakers. We don't use percentages because what is 5%? What is 9%? But if you look at the absolute numbers, it is amazing. Let me just give you one stat. Please forget it as soon as possible. But um, just to give you an idea, at the moment, we already have around 75 million older people in Africa, let's say 60 plus. But this number is expected to nearly triple to around 220 million, you know, within the next 25 years. It's the population of Brazil. It is huge. So by 2030 alone, the continent will be home to an additional 30 million older people. When is 2030? Seven years from now, huh? We'll have an additional 30 million older people within this young continent. Point is, we need to think of older people and young people not separate from each other, but how we can, in an intergenerational way, contribute to the economies and development of our countries. Let me give you the South African example. Currently around 5 million older people, and that will increase to 12 million by 2050. Gauteng, interestingly, to get home. Gauteng hosts the largest proportion of South Africa's total population and also the largest number of older people in the country. Around 25% of all older people in South Africa reside in um, Gauteng. So, what is the main point? The main point is, although the youngest region for the foreseeable future, Africa, population aging also happens in Africa with huge numbers of absolute, uh, absolute numbers of older people. What now about, what are we doing about this? And this is now the exciting part. Let me interject uh, for just a second. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Given what you just said, all the different implications, if I were sitting in government, I would be saying, oh, wonderful, we have this enormous need to spend more money on education for those young people or training or something, and we have this growing need to spend money on support for aging people and their special or increasingly special medical and health needs, yes. we're, caught, we're caught on both ends of that continuum, and the people in the middle, the squeezed generation, 
have got to fund this. What do we do? Yeah, funding, oh my goodness, you know, you need an economist to deal with that one. And, you know, we've got these care economists now, because that is the huge, huge challenge. But let's keep to the the, the stuff we can do something at the moment, or, or actually um, contemplate, you know, plans, you know, what to do. Because we've got a blank slate in Africa. Uh, Brooks, in the past, you know, the assumption was the family will care. Families just can't cope with, with all of this. So the policy architecture in Africa is, is a really a good a news story up to a point. And I just want to focus on, on two, and that will also bring us, you know, to the funding issue. And also how we connect unemployed young people that youth bulge with the needs of older people. Wow, it was so exciting. So, um, of course, a lot happened in the past 30 years, 20 years especially. But last year, the governments, all the governments on the African continent at the AU, approved an amazingly progressive plan on aging for Africa. So um, I, I so wish I could spend more time on this, but it's a bit technical. But uh, let me just give you the two points around the strategic vision of this plan. So the first one, and it's written into this plan, um, is an unshakable recognition of the worth and inherent dignity of Africa's older persons and a commitment to upholding their human rights and freedoms. And secondly, is a firm and inedible realization that investment in aging and older populations are not separate from, marginal to, or detracting from the objectives to enhance the prospects of children, youth, and women in pursuit of social and economic development. And then there are like 11 strategic action areas, and among them, funding um, from government and so forth. Now, of course, Brooke, I, I, I know now what people would like to say, oh, my goodness, you know, AU, talk shop, and so forth. But if we don't target, you know, on the policy on the macro level, it can't filter down to the respective um, countries on the continent. So you need, you know, to take the long, the long road. And um, it's, it's a, a long-term plan. Let me tell you then about some of the exciting developments in Gauteng. So the first one is we were tasked as researchers and policymakers to co-create, and that is very exciting, strategy for the development of a long-term care economy. Let me put it simple. So, Brooks, what do we have? We have this huge bulge of young, unemployed people. 
especially in Gauteng. You know, they migrate from the rural areas to Gauteng to get a job. They don't get the job. So what are we going to do with them? So we've got this huge bulge on the one hand of young people. On the other end of the continuum of the life course, we have this increasing number of older people that need some kind of care, some more intensive. And, uh, you know, others like they just need a handyman or somebody bringing their groceries or helping in the garden or whatever. So, um, and the idea in Gauteng is how can we use care, care in the broadest sense of the word, to create job opportunities for young people as to need the meet the needs of older people? How can we create a more formalized system? Because we haven't got it. Let me give you an example. My mother was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, and, you know, I'm quite well connected in this field. But I can't even tell you how we struggled to get a carer for my mother. Because there's no accreditation, you know, no course people can follow, no accreditation, no registration, no um, standard, you know, general national standard. So, and um, that's the idea, to formalize, to professionalize care giving as a career and to create a career trajectory so that these young people could also follow this avenue to be employed. So that's the one exciting um, possibility. So um, the next one is run from the office of the premier in Gauteng, and that is to look at housing. Um, but, you know, if I say housing, we have to be very careful. It's not only uh, your four walls and a, and a roof. It's about a caring uh, um, human settlement. You know, there has to be support and infrastructure and so forth. So we're looking at that. The third one is the ability of older people and um, policymakers and practitioners to use technology. So we just published a book on how older people use their mobile phones. You know, what functions do they use? If we want to do an intervention through the mobile phone, because Brooks, you believe me, they all have mobile phones. Maybe not the newest one, push button, old generation phones, but they have them. Country so, has more mobile phones than there are people, actually. Yes, yes. So, you know, what we know is where the old gogs keep their phones, but we, we, we don't know how they use them. So, and we, we did a, a five year study, um, to really get a sense. And, you know, what, what were the findings? Older people are more than willing, you know, to learn, to use their phones. We just know that it takes a bit of patience, 
and we we have to establish specific intergenerational programs because usually in families you know there's a lot of tension around all kinds of issues and people are not that patient so but if we can have a formal intergenerational program where we for example train students and use students to teach older people it's hugely successful we're running short of time and i wanted to raise one other question sure. before i have to let you go we're speaking with Yako Hoffman, gerontologist, specialist in aging, Northwest University resource on these questions. One of the things that, that confounds me is the idea that in most societies, even now, there are fairly inflexible retirement ages, somewhere between 60 and 65 depending on where you live and what your professional yeah. mode of work is, even though in many of these countries, people live another 20, 30 years afterwards. And older people, I, I, there's a study in Japan about old people in, in their late 60s, 70s, going back to work, partly for economic reasons and partly because they're just tired of not working. Yeah. They take a job which uses three, four hours of their day, four days a week, and it gives them a whole different sense of themselves in their community. Just speculate for a minute on whether or not to adapt to aging societies, we're going to have to restructure how we think about the workplace and who participates in it and in what way and what kind of clock they use. Absolutely, Brooks. You know, uh, Judge Cameron the other day mentioned that the only ism that's not tested in our constitutional court is ageism. And he specifically referred to this uh, whole idea of a compulsory retirement age. So um, we're playing around with the idea, you know, um, especially in a young society, to differentiate, you know, between a pensionable age, say that might be 65 or 67, and a retirement age, you know, meaning that after your pensionable age, you do not necessarily have to retire. There could be fixed, uh, you know, contracts, a more flexible work conditions, mentoring, and so forth. Uh, because you raised a, a very important issue. My goodness, you know, on average, since 1950, globally have an extra 30 years added to our lives. We have to think, and that brings us, you know, to you and me and each individual listening to this. How are you going to deal with that extra 30 years of your life? And it is not like just an add-on. You have to think, you know, uh, according to the life course and um, how you can now already start preparing to make the best of that extra 30 years in your life, how to reinvent yourself, how to think about a second or a third career, maybe a hobby that could develop or evolve into a career. You touched a very sensitive point. If we think nothing is going to change, we make a huge mistake. We're speaking with the Yako Hoffman, 
uh, Northwest University gerontologist, specialist on aging, obviously. And we'll be right back after this important message. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we're back. This is the Deep Dive. This is Brooke Spector, and we're speaking with the Yako Hoffman, Northwest University aging gerontologist, specialist on what we have to do to keep ourselves active as we move forward into the future, as all of us do around the world. Final thoughts, please, if you could, maybe just a minute, uh, just tie it all together for us. Yeah, some takeaway messages. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of older people in Africa, among even more millions and millions and millions of young people. And we have to think intergenerationally. And investments in children, youth, and women in pursuit of social and economic development should not be seen as separate from marginal to or detracting from the objectives to enhance the developmental prospects of older people. So it's a, it's a whole. Um, it's an ecosystem. We need the political will of governments to enact um, the beautiful policy architecture we created. We need more research, you know, for example, around funding scenarios and so forth. And going to the individual, how are you going to use, metaphorically spoken, your extra 30 years optimally? Think your head, think your heart, think your hands, think your relationships. Thank you, Brooks. We've been speaking with Jaco Hoffman, Northwest University, gerontologist, specialist, obviously, on aging. Uh, and I, I like your suggestion that I better find an economist or a policy analyst who can talk about the differences and the challenges between the claims on resources for young people versus the claims on resources among the older people. Uh, young people need education and training and older people need pensions and medical care and support. And I, I note uh, in closing that, um, there is already a tension being discussed in the, in the United States. The three largest categories of government expenditures, uh, if you put aside for the moment interest on national debt or defense and security are social security, uh, Medicare, which is, uh, medical programs for people over 65 and Medicaid, which is medical support for people who are below the poverty line. Uh, and that, that is a large collection of funds that older people get from those in the middle and which the people who are younger still are going to look for a way to claim in the contest between different budget categories. I'll ask you, think about it, let me know when you can, who I should talk to as a, as a budget or economic analyst on these things, because this topic is surely not going to go away. This is Brooke Spector with The Deep Dive, and we have been privileged and pleased to speak to our near neighbor, actually, Yako Hoffman, specialist in aging and gerontology uh, at Northwest University. His resume is extraordinarily uh, extensive in global terms, but he's got his finger clearly on the pulse of what's happening 
in South Africa and even in the specific policies and issues right here in Gauteng. It's been a pleasure to have you on air. Fantastic. Thank you, Brooks. And we will be back next week with the Deep Dive. And I'm Brooks Spector, and thank you for listening.